Good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be gathered together again to worship our Lord. I invite you this morning to turn with me to Ephesians again, Ephesians chapter 5. To continue our study of the book of Ephesians that I'd started some time ago. I didn't go back to double check, but I'm pretty sure that March 1st was the last that I preached from the book of Ephesians. A couple of other subjects worked their way in. So this morning, I felt like it was time to go back and continue this. And so this morning, we'll be looking at Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. Go ahead and read those verses at this time. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. <clears throat> Now, I want to remind us of what we probably all know, but the chapter and verse breaks that we have in the Bible were not placed there by the inspired writers of the scriptures. Those breaks were put there at a later date by men who analyzed the scriptures and decided where there should be breaks. And so if you really look at these two verses and what they say, they really tie in with the last part of chapter 4. And depending how your Bible is divided up, if it has uh, divided up with headings for different sections, you may have a break, or at least a paragraph break, between verse 2 and verse 3. So I thought it would be good, since these verses tie in with the last part of chapter 4, to give a quick review of the last section of chapter 4. And there we see Paul giving instructions on how believers are to live. We see there that a person who has accepted the Lord as Savior is not going to live according to the ways or the patterns of unbelievers who are living their lives for sensual pleasures. But uh, Paul says there that they're actually living according to the vanity or the, or the futility of their own minds. They're just doing what feels good. Living according to the depraved and sinful mind and not according to God's ways. Then he goes on to say that as followers of Christ, there's certain things that we're going to be putting off and other things that we're going to be putting on. Putting off the former way of life, that, that way of life where we're controlled by the sinful nature, this 
the, the desires of the flesh. But we're, we're supposed to get rid of that and put on a new nature that is patterned after God. Patterned after his righteousness and his holiness. So that then, we move into to verse 1 of chapter 5. And we see here that he follows those instructions in chapter 4 with the instruction that we're to be followers of God as dear children. Now, I find again that when you're reading your Bible and you're just reading through, it's easy to read over these verses that are fairly familiar. Uh, we maybe make some assumptions in our minds of what they mean, and we just keep on trucking when, with our reading. But when we start to look into the different word meanings and the, the look at the total context, we can discover that there's a lot of deeper meaning to some of these, these phrases. So I'd like to look at this this morning and consider what it means for us as Christians. And I'm sure that if I ask for a raise of hands here this morning, how many people believe that we should be followers of God as his people? Everybody would, would raise their hand and say, yes, I'm, I agree with that statement. But I'd like to look at a little bit deeper look at some of this. This word followers is translated in this verse from the Greek word mimetes. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know Greek. But that means to imitate or impersonate. Now, it doesn't take very big of a stretch of our imagination to read or hear that Greek word mimetes and see the similarity between that and our English word mimic. Mimic means to imitate or copy. Typically we think of mimicking if, if somebody is uh, mimicking somebody, they're, they're copying their antics, usually trying to generate uh, some humor. So being a Christian isn't, as it's sometimes portrayed, just simply praying a prayer of confession and then going on our way. But it's much more than that, because to be a Christian, we're called to follow after, to mimic God. Our nature as a believer is to be a copy, a representation in the flesh of God's character. At home, a couple days ago, we were talking about a political figure. I won't name any names, but we were sitting there at the supper table talking about this. And somebody asked the question, does that person 
would, would he profess to be a Christian? And my response was that I was glad that I wasn't the judge. But I didn't feel like that a lot of his actions were very Christ-like. See, that man was not mimicking Christ. Even though he may profess Christianity, the pattern of his life was not, his life was not patterned after Christ or after God. So see, if we're truly a Christian, we've accepted Christ and surrendered to him, we're going to be taking upon ourselves his nature and the nature of our Heavenly Father. This is what Paul was talking about back in chapter 4, putting off the old nature and putting on the new man. That new man is that mimicking of Christ and God the Father. Becoming an imitator of him. And the last part of verse 1 says that we're to be followers or mimickers, imitators, as dear children. I imagine that all of us have observed, either in our own children or definitely in other people's children, because I think sometimes that's a little easier for us to see, that children, especially young children, often have a strong desire to imitate, to mimic their parents. You can watch little children at play. A mother's little girl often will be seen playing doll, pretending to cook, etc., they do the things they see their mother do. And little boys often mimic what their daddies do, whether it's farming or trucking or whatever line of work they might be in. And it goes even further than that, as we see children uh, I lost my place in my notes. We see children going to the extent of, of trying to walk and talk like their parent. You ever see a little boy walking along behind his dad and trying to step big steps to step in his dad's footprints? Uh, that type of thing. They want to be like their parents. They're, they're mimicking And sometimes in some of these likenesses, I think there's some genetics that, that take place, but yet there's a natural instinct for children to, to copy and to be like their parents. And sometimes we see it go a step further, and, and here again, genetics might play into this, but have you ever seen that someone whose behavior is exceptionally like their parents? I just had an experience within the last couple, well, it started about three or four weeks ago probably, and culminated this past week. 
where I was called to go out and look at a job for a man that I knew him, kind of knew who he was. But back approximately 10 years ago, probably, I had worked a good bit for his father. His father had passed away within the last two or three years. And I was called to his place to look at a job and met him there in front of his house, talked over what he wanted done. And I couldn't get over the similarities between him and his late father. He looked a little bit like him, but his, he, could have looked, he could have looked completely different than his dad. And the similarity would have still been there because it was his mannerism. It was the way he conducted himself. It was the way he talked. And I described to a co-worker my experience as I was relating information about this job. And he came back to me the other day laughing. He said, working for that man was exactly like you described. You know, we say the apple didn't fall far from the tree. That man probably didn't, necess didn't necessarily intend to become so much like his father, but he did. That man is being a follower or an imitator of his earthly father in many ways. Is that how it is in regards to you and me with our Heavenly Father? When I related with that man, I couldn't believe the similarities between him and his late father. But when people observe me, do they see a striking resemblance between me and my Heavenly Father? Is there no mistaking who my Father is, whom I'm following after, whom I'm imitating? And you know, imitation doesn't mean that we just dress a certain way, do certain things, and then we'll be identified as following our Heavenly Father. But no, it's more about our actions. It's more about the the overall tenor of our life. You know, this customer looked somewhat like his father, but it was his actions and his mannerisms that, that sealed the deal. Without a change of heart, without the crucifying of the old man and putting on the new man, that is patterned after Christ, we're not going to become true imitators, true followers of God. There has to be a change of character from our old sinful character to his holy and righteous character. And as I studied this passage and looked at these, these truths, I was impressed that I have a lot of room to grow. And I imagine we all do. 
Because I had to think about how often I have done something that is not godlike, or how often I have failed to do something that would be godlike. In some ways, that's maybe easier for us to fall down in that area of, of omitting things that we should be doing to represent God's character. Because, you know, most of us have been brought up being taught kind of how we should live to reflect God's character. So we know what we shouldn't do, but I think sometimes it's easier to not do things that are godly, that would demonstrate a God-likeness. And it's a continual battle for all of us because we all live in the flesh. And that natural human tendencies continue to cry out for what our flesh desires. That's why we're called to crucify our flesh daily. If we allow our natural man to have his way, we're no longer being a follower or an imitator of God. I also had to consider as I looked at this what is our standard as we consider ourselves being an imitator of God. If we're, going, if we're called to be an imitator of God, how, how do I know what I'm striving for? How do I know what I'm to attain to, strive to attain to? And first of all, and I think maybe the most important thing for anyone who is serious about being an imitator of God, following after him, is to be a student of his word. Because it's within God's word that we find out about God. We find out who he is, what his character is. You know, there's, in Romans 1, it tells us that since the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God uh, are observed by, by all men through his creation. But the creation is very limited in what it can display in regards to, the, uh, to, to God's character and God's attributes. But his word is where he has revealed himself to us. And we live in a time in history where we have unprecedented levels of literacy and unprecedented access to God's word. We have the ability and we have the resource that we need to know about God, to know about his character, so it's up to us whether we're going to apply ourselves diligently to learn about him. His word is our window into God's character. And if you don't apply yourself to reading his word, you're, you're going to struggle to develop a character that, that mimics or imitates him. Again, it makes me think of the admonition to be followers or imitators of God as dear children. How do children become like their parents? They watch them. They observe them. 
They follow behind him, trying to, like I said, the little boy trying to keep up with his father's footsteps. It's through observation and it's of their parents, and it's also through our observation of God, through his word, that we become like him. I also had to think this morning, didn't have time to read it, would have liked to have. But many of you probably read Nathaniel Hawthorne's uh, short story, The Great Stone Face. And it's a story about this mountain that had this rock outcropping that looked like a big stone face. And the Native Americans had a legend that someday there was going to be a man that would come along that would resemble that face. And there was this young boy, I believe his name was Ernest, and he, he was captivated by that story. And he would gaze at that stone face and think about how wonderful it would be if, if that man would, would come about. And throughout his life, he longed for this and he studied that face. And over time, different people were brought forward. This is the man. But then somebody would point out some significant character flaw. And nope, it's not the man. And as an older man, one day, Ernest was a lay preacher. And he was preaching a message to a group of villagers in an outside setting with the great stone face in the background. And suddenly, someone pointed out, Ernest is the man. Ernest is the man that looks like the great stone face. And the underlying truth in that story is the fact that he had longed so much for this to be fulfilled. He had studied that great stone face, that it had changed him. It had become a part of him, so to speak. Is that how we're studying and looking at God and his word so that we can become like him? Another thing we need to do if we're going to become like God, like his character, is we need to be open to the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. As we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we're given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And if we surrender to him and to his direction, we have God's own spirit working within our hearts, giving us direction, telling us, helping us to know right and wrong. And certainly, if we have God's spirit actively at work within us, it is going to produce the character of God. Now, it's possible for us to have the spirit and to resist that spirit. 
he can come and nudge us that we should not do something or that we should do something, and we can refuse. And then we lose that opportunity to become more like our Heavenly Father. We also need to be mindful that God's Spirit will never contradict His Word. God's Spirit does not contradict God's written Word. You know, sometimes Satan can bring confusion and doubt in our minds as to what the Spirit would have us to do. But we've got to go back to Scripture. We've got to have, have our basis in the Word of God. And then we can, it can help us to understand God's will. It can help us to understand the Spirit's direction and to avoid Satan's deception. I'd like to move on then to verse 2. We're admonished here to walk in or to live a life of love. I looked up this term to walk in, uh, and, and the original really means you to walk about in something. And, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of love out there and we're mucking around in it like in mud. But it means to, as we go forth, as we walk about, as we go about our daily life, we're to do all things in love. And actually, living a life of love is part of being an imitator of God. Because God is love. We're told that in Scripture. One of his, that's one of his attributes that we as his children are to exemplify in our lives. Jesus taught us to live a life of love. First of all, love for God. And second, love for people. For others. In reply to the question of what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the law, hang all the law and the prophets. So love for God, first of all, and if we have a, a complete love for God, it's going to help us to get rid of love for self. And then love for our fellow men. And you know, we need to get rid of our love for self before we can really love our fellow men. Love for God, first of all, and love for our fellow man is the mark of God's children following after his character, while love for self and for pleasure is the mark of living for the world. We see here in verse 2 that Jesus is our example. Think about the example of love that he has given us. 
His love for the Father was such a deep love that it caused him to obey all that the Father asked of him. You know, picture that scene in heaven of God saying, Son, I want you to go to earth to suffer and die so that mankind can have salvation. And Jesus said, Yes, thy will be done. Because of his love for God, first of all, and for us, secondly. His love for mankind was so great that he was willing to suffer and to give his life for our sakes. It talks about him giving his life as an offering and a sacrifice, and I thought it was interesting that those two terms, offering and sacrifice, don't mean the same thing. An offering is something that's given as an expression of gratitude for God to God for his goodness. An example of that would be in the Old Testament where they brought uh, the first fruits of their harvest as a sacrifice. It was an a offering of gratitude for the for the harvest that was at hand. And a sacrifice is an offering made for atonement for sin. So I see Christ is our example here of a complete sacrifice, one that demonstrated his love, his gratitude, his devotion to to God the Father. And it was also a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. In the last phrase of verse 2, then we see that this sacrifice was pleasing to God. It was a sweet, had a sweet-smelling savor. And there are several times in the Old Testament when Noah offered a sacrifice after he came off the ark, and also in God's instructions to Moses there in Leviticus about different offerings, it talks about an offering that is a, of a sweet-smelling savor. When a sacrifice to God is offered properly, it's offered according to God's commands and in the right attitudes, the right purposes, that sacrifice has a sweet and pleasing aroma to God the Father. Jesus' sacrifice of himself was was a sweet and pleasing sacrifice to God. And as we pattern our lives after his, our lives of love and sacrifice to God and to others can as well be a sacrifice with a sweet smell to our Heavenly Father. In Romans 12, we're called to be living sacrifices. And right here, we have our pattern for that sacrifice. Jesus who gave up everything out of love for God and out of love for mankind. Jesus gave all. He came, surrendered to the Father's will, to do, his own, to do the Father's will and not his own will. He came to serve, not to be served. His sacrifice was complete, and it was pleasing to God. And so I ask, who are you living for? If we're following Jesus' example... Excuse me, if we're following Jesus, who is our example, we must live a life of 
love for God and for our fellow men that will cause us to not live for self, not live to please self, but to please God and to serve others, just like Christ. So in conclusion this morning, I want myself and all of us this morning to leave here with a renewed desire to keep our focus on God and on his character so that we can continue to daily strive to be followers, to be mimickers of, of him, of his character, and to remember Jesus' example of love and obedience to the Father and of love and sacrifice for us. His love and sacrifice for sinful mankind. You know, we can, we can envision loving and being obedient to God the Father, but Jesus loved and sacrificed for sinful mankind. That's the pattern we're called to follow. And if we do that and follow his example, God will be pleased with the sweet-smelling aroma of that sacrifice we make. And we're going to, at the same time, be demonstrating God's character to the world around us. My desire is that when people observe me and you, that they look and say, he's just like his father. May God bless you.